This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey there. We are gearing up for a brand new podcast coming very soon that will focus on the creator economy. So as we work on what I'm sure will become one of your new favorite podcasts, please enjoy this throwback episode of Creative Conversation. One of the strongest skills that a professional can have is to step outside of yourself and look at yourself as a product. And so sometimes you have to do R&D on yourself. Sometimes you have to do a focus group. And sometimes then you have to take the information from that focus group and go, that's cool that you think that, but nah, I'm going to stick with this model right now. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. This episode goes out to all my fellow multitaskers out there because I'm talking to Wayne Brady, arguably one of the hardest working performers in show business. We're talking Broadway, TV, film, game show hosting, recording artist, improv comedian. Wayne has done it all and often simultaneously. I was really excited for this conversation because I'm definitely one for putting a lot on my plate at once with any number of projects. And sometimes I do feel like I should just focus on one thing. But for Wayne, that's never been an option. In our conversation, Wayne explains how he gave himself permission to pursue all his passions, how he actually does it all without crashing and burning, and the number one thing to remember in unlocking your creative potential. Wayne Brady, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, come on. My pleasure. I always like to start at the beginning with my guests and just get a sense of what pulled them into their craft in the first place. So for you, what sparked your interest in the performance space? Like, how did you become the Wayne Brady that we know today? For me, you know, it's it's kind of a, I'm one of those people that I knew that this was w- what I wanted to do from I believe the earliest time that I could recollect knowing that I wanted to do something, I couldn't put put my finger on it of or say, oh, I want to be on TV or, oh, I want to be on stage. I knew that I wanted to perform, that I wanted to do whatever the thing was that these people that I would watch on TV, whatever they were doing or whatever they were creating, I wanted to learn to do that thing. So I feel that even going back to when I first started playing, I would play by myself because my my grandmother, um, I've got folks that are from the U.S. Virgin Islands. So an island upbringing is a very strict upbringing, which I loved. Not at the time, but now now as a parent, I'm like, thank you. Thanks. Thanks, mom. I've never been to jail, by the way. (laughs) As a child of Nigerian parents, I can I can I can attest to that. I get it. I get it. So, so I played by myself a lot. So in that solo play, it forced me to be inventive. I would do these radio plays. I would read books that I was an avid reader. Still am. That's one of my saving graces when the world is too, get too crazy is I throw myself into a book. And at the time I would just read whatever was placed in front of me and I would try to do all these voices. And so my dad gave me an old school, which wasn't old school at the time, but a tape recorder. So I would tape myself doing all these voices and and visualizing the stories and playing both of the parts. But I didn't know that that was acting. And it wasn't until my junior year in high school that I actually was able to to say, oh, this is the thing that I'm going to do, that I could put a name to it and a voice to it. And I actually wasn't ashamed because a lot of me not wanting to say it earlier was also wrapped up in shame. You know, the guys in my neighborhood weren't weren't really about me talking about watching PBS great performances, watching <laughs> upstairs, downstairs, or talking about Monty Python, or watching old black and white sketch shows with Sammy Davis Jr. or Sid Caesar or Ernie Kovacs, or talking about a Sidney Poitier movie. That really wasn't the thing. So I kept a lot of that to myself. Hmm. That's interesting. And I mean, I feel like what what was that moment like for you claiming claiming your passion in a way cuz i think i'm i'm so glad that you were able to to finally push that aside push any doubt you had any any worry of what other people would think and pursue what it is that you love but i think a lot of people do get stuck in their own head do get stuck in the perception that other people will have of them if they pursue this path so like what was it for you that 
like what was that feeling like what was that moment where you were like you know what no i'm just gonna go ahead and go and just and pursue this like with my full heart wow it i'm trying to make it concise as possible because it's actually one day when i do my one-man show um, oh man <laughs> i really go into the whole thing but i'll tell you in a nutshell it was exactly like what i pictured life would be like when i first watched fame oh wow <laughs> My response wasn't, oh, it's so cool to watch this singing and dancing. My response was, oh, those kids are having such a good time. What does that feel like? What does that feel like to be able to, to stand in your lunchroom or in the theater and sing a song? Or what, what is it like to sit down and somebody's playing the piano and you guys are dancing around? Or you can say something and not feel the weight of judgment. Mm -hmm. So when I saw, so when I actually walked into a space that was welcoming of me, that was my fame moment. In my head, I truly was like, oh shit, I'm Leroy. <laughs> 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 Without the tight shorts and, and right. <laughs> it felt amazing. Uh, it felt, but uh, you know, that answer is, is a little nuanced for, for me in the sense of it just wasn't the fact of, um, oh, I was in a space that I could perform. There were a couple layers of, I'm in a space that I can perform. I'm in a space that I don't feel like there's a thumb on my back because I was also in Air Force ROTC. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was like, well, at least I can be in the military so I don't disappoint them um, and talk about wanting to be on stage. And, and, you know, there were very specific ideas, as you know, in the Black community in terms of, you know, arts and, and, mm -hmm. and my mom being from the islands and, and her saying, oh, oh, you, oh, you're going to jump on stage and dance, dance around like some auntie man and be like da, 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 you know, so. Cut so to they, you in kinky boots. <laughs> I showed her. I know. <laughs> so there's a thing of, you don't want to support your parents. Mm -hmm. You don't want to feel that weight on your back. And in my neighborhood, I always felt this distance. I always felt a little othered mm. being someone who, who early on, like I skipped from kindergarten to second grade, which I don't know if I would ever recommend to a parent to let them, to let that happen, no matter how bright you think your kid is because of the social aspect. Now as a parent, I get the fact that socialization happens in tears and needs to happen a certain way. Absolutely. Me and this one other kid named Artist Woodard is like, these are our future. These two black men, they are gifted. Y'all are not gifted. They're so gifted that we have to send them off to a, all, to a primarily white school. And our artist was cool. Our artists, folks still like artists, but that was the last thing I needed was another thing on top of having this accent from, from my grandma and my mom and being looked at as different anyway because of the things I liked. Now you're going to send me to the school and tell people that, that I'm different. And so I didn't fit in with the kids at the elementary school there. I didn't fit in with my own peoples. So by the time that I'd gotten to where I was as a junior, I was like, you know what? I am ready to just delve fully into this because I'm tired of being judged and I'm tired of feeling, feeling less than and small. So mm -hmm. walking into that uh, classroom, um, into the theater and meeting Karen, who is now a lifelong friend, who, who was my, my, the big theatrical influence, that changed my existence. Mm -hmm. So that's my superhero origin story. Man, and I'm telling you, it's not as uncommon as you think. Because like kindergarten oh. through fifth grade, I went to a predominantly black school. And I feel like it, I felt that feeling of other, because I remember kids being like, oh, you're the Oreo. Like you talk white, you act white. And I'm like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like, I'm in third grade, like... What? <laughs> what does it even mean? Now, as adults, we can unpack a lot of the baggage and we get, it was like, exactly. oh, even in my own career, you know, once, once I started getting some, someplace and once I got who's line, being foisted upon the American people as networks do, is like, you're going to like this person this week. <laughs> I understand now how there, there were a lot of us that were super proud to have, have a brother on what, what was seen as this primarily white show. It was never said said that, and, and, and I grew up watching Who's Line, so to know that I could break into that space, that was a biggie. So for as many people that went, oh, 
That's great. There we go. There were just as many cats going. Exactly. <laughs> Look at this right. Not thinking about all that is inside of it. Now I can go back and go, well, I get how representation-wise, we, we sometimes feel that the things that we want or the people that we want to hold dear as soon as as everyone accepts them, that they're not as as much for us. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that thinking. I think it is small-minded and it locks us into a certain certain paradigm that Lord knows I've spent the past 20 odd years on TV trying to crack. But all that, all that went into that journey. Mm. And still goes into it, by the way. Of still, course. Yeah, still goes into it day by day in 2021. It still, it still happens, but now I'm a vet, so I can yeah. handle it. <laughs> you have the tools. You have like you have the tool set to handle that. So many coping tools. Oh my God. I mean, you have to. You have to. And I think, you know, for you, I want to know like what would what were those early years like for you kind of honing your craft? Like once you really put your put your flag on the ground and said, I want to do this, what was that like building out your your creative tool set? Like when it comes to acting, when it comes to improv, like how did you start really building that foundation to grow from? Building as soon as I hit the ground running. And here's the beautiful thing about being an outlier, because I'm going to claim that I am an outlier for real. I've been doing this way more than 10,000 hours. Here's (laughs) the thing. I didn't realize that I was already preparing myself. All of that play that I did in my room, all of the books that I read, especially going into now as an actor and even coaching people sometimes and, and teaching improv and the philosophy behind it, you are only as good an actor as you are filled with knowledge. Mm-hmm. Whether it be life knowledge or whether it be actual book knowledge that you've gleaned and things that you've absorbed. And I say that because you have to be a student of psychology. You have to be a student of your own psychology because I have to know that if I pick up this remote control and I put it down, if I have to do a scene where I'm just picking up a remote control, I have to do it naturally. So I have to absorb those things. I have to be able to look at characters. I have to be able to look at people, especially doing comedy. I have to be able to look at someone and go, oh, I can do that guy that I saw saw in line at the grocery store because it'd be funny. So I'm going to do the hunchback and my glasses, the whole thing. So I've got to absorb those things. And I've got to read a book. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize that up until that point, that's what I was doing. I was taking in all this information before I even knew what it was. So by the time that I hit the ground officially when I did my first play in school, I was ready. And I didn't know that I was ready, but, but I was ready. In fact, I was so ready slash cocky that I went, oh, this, this is what acting is? I'm ready to be a professional actor. So <laughs> I auditioned for my first professional play while I was doing the school play, and I got it. And I was like, oh, this acting. So now I'm doing a job. What? what? This is it. Okay. Now, you and I know it is not like that. No. <laughs> I'm shocked. What was the play? Um, I did uh, Raisin in the Sun at, uh-huh. uh, the, uh, at the Edith Bush Theater in Orlando. And the oh, cool so you weren't kidding. And the cool thing about that is that they were a community theater, but they were a community theater that gave equity contracts. Mm. And so I learned very young. We're working with some amazing actors and, and, and hitting, hitting the ground and going, oh, this is what this thing is. So... So my voyage began with learning in my room and, and reading and taking in everything. And then as soon as I, I hit my first play, I, I was a sponge. And that's what I would say to anyone watching. If, if this is your thing and whether you're, you've been doing it a while or whether you, you, uh, you're, you're just starting out, I, I challenge you to, you have to read, you have to absorb, you have to pay attention you have to listen. You have to be a conduit of all this information. And I'm not saying that you have to spend all, all day going, I see it. I see it. I hear it. I am so- <laughs> Just be open. Just know that you're open. And so those are the things that you're going to take with you. So once I started acting, then I'll never forget, Karen told me, she said, you want to be the most valuable person in the room. So then I was like, oh, okay, well, I need to be, be able to sing. And I'd been singing in my closet for years. No one knew I could sing until right. I auditioned for Oklahoma and I got judged. <laughs> oh, I can sing. Okay, cool. Check. Then I never danced before. 
but I but I was dancing along <laughs> to to like solid gold and 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 band bandstand and soul yes. train. <laughs> so as soon as they said do this thing, and I was always a good mimic. So do do this turn. All right, I'll try try that. I'll do this thing. So check, I can dance a little bit. Then because I could sing, I could hear voices, and so I could start doing impressions. Mm. And I could turn those into characters. So each job that I got, I was very lucky growing up in Orlando in the late 80s, early 90s is when I started acting because there were lots of opportunities. I mean, that's why there's so many damn boy bands that came out of Orlando and a lot of Broadway stars because of the theme parks. So I worked at Disney. I worked at Universal. I worked uh, corporate dates for Universal and, and Disney. I was a character. I started off as Goofy and Tigger and then became a singer-dancer there. And then I did, uh, did singing, dancing shows at Universal. And I was a Ghostbuster when, when the park first opened up in the Ghostbuster show. Uh, I was a percussionist and I was a break dancer in the street crew. Um, We're talking range. This is range to go from... <laughs> it's range, but it's also survival. Right. Oh, I'm on my own. I got a gig. Um, I have to learn to do all these things, but it's absorbing all that stuff. Cruise ships. I, I never said no to a gig because I didn't know what the gig was going to give me. Whatever they asked of me, I wanted to be able to do. And so I embodied that yes and of the improvisational space. Mm -hmm. So I really attribute any success that I've had now in the subsequent years with everything that I did in Orlando for the first few few years because that set the stage. So when I hit Los Angeles, I was ready. I, I moved out here with a group of friends that we had a theater in Orlando called SAC Theater. And we moved out here, seven, seven of us, um, and we formed a group called the Houseful of Honkies. <laughs> and we uh, used to do shows all around town. And we ended up at the uh, Acme Theater over on La Brea. And we had a regular run there. And that's when we became well-known in the comedy scene around, you know, in the same breath as like Groundlings and Second mm -hmm. City. People would come out and see us. And that's when I got the audition for uh, Who's Lying. And so, you know, like James Brown said, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. For every musical review that I did, for every show that I danced in in Las Vegas and every um, impersonation show, every um, I was a lounge singer in Tokyo. And then I did, did, did sporadic TV and stage in the middle of that. Every gig, that's what made me ready. So when they said, hey, you want to audition for Who's Line? I said, sure. Can you do this? Yes. Can you do that? Yes. Can you do this? Yes. Okay. Hire. That was the pivotal moment after a couple of years of no's. That that was my big yes. Yeah. I'm still stuck on Houseful of Honkies. That's that is a name. <laughs> I was the only brother, so <laughs> I was gonna ask. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, hey, <laughs> what are you gonna do? But I mean the truth. I listen, and it got you it got you to where you are now, and I love it. But you know, speaking of improv, I know, you know, that for me is I think it's the same for a lot of people. That's how we really got to know you through like whose line is it anyway? I mean, that's that was my first real introduction to you. And mm -hmm. so, and it's interesting because I actually did an episode of this podcast a while ago about really breaking down the science behind uh, how improv improvisation is great for creativity because you know people have done studies on this about how you know they've 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 scanned brains while people are like playing music like just improving jazz like you know in, in like this machine and they see that there are parts of your brain like where your inhibition is like lowered and that just makes you feel less less self-aware less conscious of something and you, you're allowed to just let go and so for you what were what did you learn from improv what did you learn from because i know like even getting on the show is such a grueling process for a lot of people it's just so much of like that that process of like vetting and casting is like really intensive so from that experience of of improv, like what would you say you walked away with it? Like what what, what did you get from that process? Because it is, I think it's improv is so valuable to the creative process in general. I walked away with a uh, superpower that I didn't know that I had to the degree that I had, hmm. because in in that group there were seven of us when when we moved out. You know, we all have our roles. I would say that my my role is yeah. I think even at that point, I was always good at musical improv because I'm a songwriter and music is just, it touches a certain point in your brain, you know, like talking about those scans. Um, I did one once. Oh. It was 
thing to see see the results. You know, those same areas are highlighted when when you lie. Oh, well, <laughs> I mean, that's what it kind of is. I mean, you are technically like you're making something up. <laughs> right. Like you have to be able to pull pull these pieces of information to form a fabric of imagination. Mm-hmm. So I was always good at the song stuff and I could do characters. But in the group, I would lay back in the cut because it, it wasn't my group. These guys wanted to be Second City. They mm-hmm. wanted to be SNL. I wanted to be on stage because it was good stage time and I loved being with my friends. But the sketch improv piece was never as important to me because I always wanted to be on Broadway. I always wanted to be on a TV show. I always had the words, you know, the in quotes, the, as a legitimate actor doing the things that you're trained for and loving Shakespeare and having gotten to do that and musicals. I was like, well, this is what, what I do. So it's cool that we do this thing. So I don't think of it as my purview really mm-hmm. but i'll go along with it and it's fun to do on stage so i never really gave myself the permission to own it it wasn't until i got who's line and then it wasn't until the after the first season of who's line when i was thrown into it and and you're on stage scared absolutely shitless just like when i say frightened when those lights hit me the first time when when the music went, welcome to whose line is it anyway? They show where the points don't matter. And, and here's your kid. And then I saw my face in the monitor. Wayne Brady. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I knew it. But then after I got over that, I was like, okay, look, you have two choices. You can stand here and look like that, or you can just go hmm. and talk about those inhibitions. I've never been that person who. In real life, I'm not super gregarious. I like to, I'm very low key. I like to be by myself. I like to read or I play my music or I do games or whatever the thing is. I've always been, you know, here. But that tapped into that button that went, you now have to go super saiyan <laughs> and be this other thing. Right. And I never really tapped into that before until that show. And it's an amazing thing that when someone when someone gives you permission to do something, when, when you really should be giving yourself the, per, the permission and the space, but when someone goes, oh yeah, you know, Wayne's really good at this. You go, oh yeah, Wayne's really good at this. You know, Wayne's really dope at making those songs up. Yeah, Wayne's really dope at making those songs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so as that show went on, I gained a confidence and a skill level that I'd never had because I never invested in it. And then once I started investing in it, then I started going, okay, well, if I'm going to be doing this show and if I'm going to be known for this thing, I just don't want to be a guy that does it. I want to be the, the benchmark mm-hmm. that if you go, oh, improv music or improv, you need to mention my name. Right. So that's what I started working towards. I said, the only way that that will happen is if I become a student of this craft. So I'm not just going to do improv. I'm going to learn to break it down and see what works for me. What is this method? How can I always do it consistently? Which is a bit of an oxymoron with improv because you are supposed to fail. Mm. Improv is based on failure. Del Close, the the um, some some would say the godfather of improv, said that it's based on on failure. So the audience is waiting for you to not succeed. And they say, hey, you and I are going to do a scene as two guys stuck on the space shuttle, and you can only speak and rap. As soon as the host gives that out, the audience goes, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, Margaret, because I don't know how he's getting <laughs> on the space shuttle. What does that even look like? And in rap, you have to have a cold cup. They aren't going to do it. They're not going to do it. <laughs> so that's where they start off right from the get-go. And then the other part of the audience is going, let me see, space shuttle, um, rebuttal, uh, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to get to that rhyme before he does. Mm. In that split second, you have to be able to pull up your computer screen in your head and go space shuttle, space, troposphere, gravity, uh, centrifuge, space suit, uh, the, the MREs, uh, Tang, uh, Boots, uh, John Glenn, <laughs> all that has got to hit you in that second. And now we start doing the scene and now I've got to listen to you. Right. So it taught me all of those skills 
that you sometimes do innately, but I would try to sit as I'm doing it, I'm going, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is why I can pull that word and make this thing happen. Okay, I've got a rhyme towards the end of the joke. So if I'm doing a hoedown about a woman, um, they, they say that, uh, that it's about a cobbler. Um, so what's, okay, okay, about what, 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 uh, shoes. I do something, something about shoes. I got four lines to get the shoes. I'll set it up. Oh, oh, like Jay, Jay said in that one song, you know, about Zapatos, it's Zapatos. That's actually the famous word for shoes. I'll make my song about a Spanish chick named Rosa. Rosa couldn't, I got it. And then that that's the process that has to happen. So I, <laughs> smoke would be coming out of my ears at that point because I feel like my brain cannot process like that. Oh, that's... Smoke was coming out of my, my brain, but you just couldn't see it because I was moving too fast and dissipating smoke. Um, Im- improv is a controlled free fall and, and you're going to land at some point. It, it all depends on how you land. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the methodology that I've adopted. And now that I've reached a point where now at this place in my life, I have a, uh, we, my production partner and I, you know, we're starting, we just had a show on for a season called Wayne Brady's comedy IQ on a smaller network. And it was basically a boot camp for kids, because I've always said that kids think, thinking back to when I was a kid, kids have the most facile ability to play. What age do you lose that ability to play and say, I can't, right. how can I help these kids learn to fire all that off. And I can show you the viewer, the process that I was just walking you through. I taught it to them. Mm. This is how I'm going to teach you to do a song. This is how I'm going to teach you to walk into a scene. This is how I'm going to teach you to do all of these things. And our first season was successful. And I used it as a blueprint because eventually now I'm pushing it out because I I want to be able to work with corporate brands Mm. and also be able to work in the community of, of to be able to go into, to places where maybe there are not a lot of brothers and sisters doing improvisation. Right. And I wouldn't expect someone maybe from, you know, <laughs> not to sound sound dismissive or weird, but you know, Jim from Second City, who's never stepped in a hood to go, hey guys, I'm I'm gonna teach you zip zop. It's an improv <laughs> game. If I were one of those kids, I would look at him like, you need to put your behind and turn. So I'd like to be that bridge, right? Because my aim is to show them that just like you like your favorite rapper because when you hear him freestyle, he's making those, he or she is making those connections Mm -hmm. and storytell right off the top of of their head. Let me teach you those skills because ultimately those skills can do for you what it did for me. And it did it for me as an adult. It gave me a sense of confidence. It gave me the ability to speak in public without fear. There's a certain thing that I have that I know if you throw me into any situation, I will, something will come out of my mouth. <laughs> I'm always going to promise that it'll be the most brilliant thing. I was going to say what? <laughs> what exactly will come out? But something will come out of my mouth. And the best thing is I now have a, a confidence that something will come out of my mouth. And maybe the first thing won't be the best thing. But that second and third thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So, so those are life skills. Being, being able to do improvisation has taught me life skills. It's, being, it's taught me to walk in my own skin. Being one of the improvisers of color that, that has a notoriety has taught me to walk in my own skin, to claim something. Mm-hmm. There was a time when people would say, oh, yeah, you know, Wayne, Wayne is the improv guy from that show. I was like, no, no, no. I'm more than just the improv guy. You need to cut that out right now. Hmm. I was trying to, to, to bob and weave so that I can't be defined or pinned down. And in doing so, sometimes don't push away your greatness. Yeah. Own it. So instead of going, no, no, I don't want to be known as that, go, thank you. But here are the nine other tools in the toolbox in, in, instead of pushing away acknowledgement of this thing. Right. Because at, at the end of the day, it is a skill. It is a hard-earned skill. It is a creative muscle that has to be worked and nurtured, and it's valued by some people because not everyone can do it. Right. So to be able to go into a school where they haven't been taught that in their theater, theater class and say, 
I, I want to give you this gift. Um, I want to help you be able to walk in yourself because you you can think this way. You can think on your feet. That that's a joy. So mm. that's part of where I'm definitely moving moving my life and my career to right now. We're going to take a break, and when we're back, Wayne explains how he manages to do so much without burning out and how he breaks free from creativity paralysis. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. There's so many amazing multi-hyphenates out there right now, but I think it's very easy for the audience to always see you as that one thing, especially if that was like the big thing that you kind of broke broke into the industry with. Because, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are still some people who don't know that you had, you know, a really good R&B album, like a long time coming. It was really good. There's a, a lot of people who don't know, the, who may not know that you do, you know, amazing like spots on TV. Like, I feel like there's some people who just know you for like one, like just, oh, he's the host. Oh, he's improv. And so how do you, I guess like, how do you work around that in your head? I want to hear a little bit more about, you know, how do you process that? And did you ever feel pressure to pick something? Because I think some people would say like, you know, why can't you just like focus on that one thing when you're, you know, you're so spread out in such a good way. I think it's a great thing, but did you ever feel that pressure to just pick quote unquote, pick a lane? Never. Because the thing is, and this is a lesson that like at the beginning of the conversation, I said, said that it's a thing that is still going and still learning and still evolving. I'm 48 years old and I've been on TV since I was 26 and I've been acting since I was 16 and I've been hearing the same thing all my life. But my answer to those people that say, well, why don't you just do one thing or an interviewer that goes, okay, Wayne, if you had to pick one thing to do, no, I wouldn't. But if you, no, I wouldn't. Because the answer is if I were to pick one thing and I'm looking at myself objectively, which you have to do in your business, and I'm sure that you, you and your business, I think one of the best, one of the strongest skills that a professional can have is to step outside of yourself and look at yourself as a product. And so sometimes you have to do R&D on yourself. Hmm. Sometimes you have to do a focus group. And sometimes then you have to take the information from that focus group and go, that's cool that you think that, but nah, I'm going to stick with this model right now. So in building this performer that is Wayne over all these years, the thing that I've learned is if I were to just pick one, like you say, ma'am, from, from this magazine, I was gonna say, don't put it on me. I wasn't asking you to pick one. <laughs> so let's say that I just, I'm just going to do X. Then you would never have known me. Yeah. Then we, then, then we'd cause a break in the space time continuum and you would never know me because I came to light on whose line when when people say why don't you pick one when you saw me mm. i was improvising i was singing i was dancing i was doing characters i was acting all in that but i've got a favorite saying of saying people like what they like mm -hmm. and to fight that because i fought it for so long and and, and i got tired and i thought okay why is it that some people say, after all these years, you know, I love that episode that you did with Richard Simmons. That was, that was when, that was like in the first couple years of Who's Line. And I know that I've had a storied career past that point. And in some ways, Who's Line was the breakout thing, but I've won multiple Emmys for my game show. Mm -hmm. I've won Emmys for, as, as a songwriter during the day, daytime. I'm a Broadway star. I've done things. So, but that one person, that's the thing that they know. People like what they like. You can't be angry at it. You have to accept the fact that, okay, that's the thing you saw. And I'm in that block for, for you. Thank you. That's what I would say. That's why when you see a sitcom star from the 90s or somebody get mad when, when they're, they're, they're approached and I get it. That's unfair. It sucks. You know, I look at someone like, just off the top of my head, like Jaleel White or Alfonso mm -hmm. Rivera. I know both of those cats. So smart. So good at what they do. Alfonso is an amazing director. Mm -hmm. Jaleel is a writer. They're both brilliant comedians. But because they came into our homes, 
and our hearts. They will forever be Urkel and, um, and Carlton. Mm-hmm. No matter what they do, and they've both done a lot, especially Alfonso, done so many things. I've always found that unfair, but I get that people like what they like. So what, what I, so the thing that I do to avoid that syndrome is I accept it and go, I'm so glad that you love who's lying and you love that thing. Also, try watching this. Try watching that thing. Or, because I'm not going to hit everybody up on Twitter that says that because I got stuff to do, <laughs> just keep moving and accept the fact, go, you know what? That's pretty cool. That's, that's cool that someone has rocked with something that I've done for so many years and they like that thing. And I'm blessed more so than some of the people that find themselves in, in that spot because I've kept it moving because I am a multi-hyphenate. I, I could have been pigeonholed right after Whose Line Is It Anyway ended the first time and just stuck there. But I was able to go off and do and be blessed to do so many other things that were creative. But I did that because I had to be the motor that kept me moving so I wouldn't get stuck in you know, Amber for, mm-hmm. for their, their vision of what my career is. Right. And at the end of the day, I am the person responsible for that. I need to keep it moving always. That's why I'm always doing something else. That's why I can't stay in my lane because as far as I'm concerned, I'm on a four lane highway and I'm going to take up every single lane when it suits me because right. that's how you know me, whether you know that or not. Right. And to jump on that metaphor, how do you keep everything from crashing together? Because I think one thing that is always worth mentioning is that so often you're doing all of these things. You're doing multiple things at once. Like you have a hosting gig, like, you know, you may have, you know, when Broadway is open, yeah. Yeah, open again soon. Like, you know, doing a Broadway show, you're doing like this, you're doing you acting gigs. Like, there's so many things happening at once. And so for you, how do you successfully juggle all of that? Because I know a lot of people say like, you know, there's like a myth to multitasking that it's not really a thing that we all should just focus on that one thing that we're doing at that one time. But I mean, for you as someone who is, who has his, his hands in everything and so many things driving those four lanes, like, how do you make sure you keep it all going smoothly and there's no crash. <laughs> well, I think because I'm lucky enough that each thing is so different hmm. and true. Maybe you can't multitask specifically, but I do think in life, I'm so lucky that so many of the things that I love to do have some common thread, even if they're vastly different. Okay. So the year and a little bit ago when I won mask singer, I was doing Masked Singer and rehearsing for that during the day and then shooting. And I was shooting Let's Make a Deal at the same time. Hmm. And I was doing touring dates. And how do I do it at the same time? I mean, to to me, it's a very simple answer. You make it work. (laughs) You're lucky if you have a job. To have multiple jobs, you make that work. You make your team make it work for you. And you... As, as the individual, you set your mind right because it's a blessing to be able to have those mo- multiple opportunities. So, and I love it. I love the fact that I was singing and doing this thing and it was a secret and then I'm going to do Let's Make a Deal. And then right after that, then I went to go do Black Lightning and I'm a superhero mm-hmm. and punching out people and flying and levitating. And then, and then I come back to Let's Make a Deal and then I'm releasing my single and doing that. That's what I thrive on. That flashback to that, young Wayne sitting in his bedroom in Tangelo Park reading books and, and tape, tape recording himself, that was his dream. So the multitasking is not an issue for me. I think the only thing that makes it ever an issue is time, actual allocation of that one, one resource. But if there's a will, there's a way, and sometimes it works out. I mean, I'm lucky enough that even during this pandemic, I was shooting things and doing commercials out of my own house. And I shot my, my piece of the BET Awards here when I did a Little Richard tribute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I shot a music video and we did this thing and then I got back to work on Let's Make a Deal. And, and, and now recently, I just was cast in, in a pilot for, the, for mm-hmm. Showtime, American Gigolo um, with John Bernthal. So, so I was juggling that as I'm doing Let's Make a Deal and going back and forth. And now I'm getting ready to, to, uh, to release my, my, my new record. Mm-hmm. It is all a blessing. 
That is the thing. It is all a blessing. You make it work. You have to make it work. And so do you ever feel burnout? Because the thing, like I, there's, there's so much of what you just said that resonates with me because I feel the exact same way. Like in, in, in the field of journalism, it's like the, the media industry is like really, really rough. And so I'm just grateful that I have a full-time job and I'm also grateful that I have a lot of freelance work that I do, you know, ghostwriting novels and like, you know, do working on other projects, you know, that are, that are really amazing. And I'm so, so, so grateful for all those outlets, but there are times where I'm just like, I feel so burnt out. Like, I feel like I love what I do and I don't want to complain about it because, you know, again, some people aren't so lucky and I can honestly say that I genuinely love what I do and I'm thankful for it. But also I really like sleep and that's something that um, is just not in the cards often. So for you, I mean, do you ever suffer from that burnout? Even if, even if it is, even if you're doing things that you love? I think you suffer from burnout or or at least not you or anybody globally, myself, when I've experienced burnout in the, in the past, it was specifically because I didn't let myself take care of myself. So it's great to have all these mm. projects, but you know what? Find, find your space to sleep. Yeah. Eat, eat well. Take care of yourself. Because if you don't, then all of the balls that you're juggling will fall because you're too weak to juggle. And that's a lesson that I learned years ago when I was doing my first, um, doing, my, doing my variety show on ABC and I was doing a bunch of other projects and I was the head writer and I was an EP and I'm doing this and da da da. And I crashed and I didn't know why. And I, and I had to be taught, hey, take care of your body because if you take care of your body, especially for what I do. So for me, the, the burnout, I can't even let it be an option. So I've had to start taking care of myself. Yeah. And that's how I found and, and working with those tools. Um, I might go to therapy. That's something that, that I'm an advocate of because I feel that also helps you not uh, short yourself out or get burnt out. Mm-hmm. Right. And for you, I mean, you mentioned that improv had such a, you, you, you wanted to, he had such like a, a, your sight set on Broadway and being an actor that improv kind of came along as something like you're, you're like, Oh, you know, this is great. I love this. I can do this. I mean, was it the same for hosting? Cause I feel like in parallel to like improv, we also know you as this, as one of like the greatest hosts of modern time. I mean, you've done so many hosting games. You even have an, a, one coming up like game of talent. So it's kind of like for you, I guess like what, what about hosting like really connected with you because I feel like you've really made it. You're such a great host because you make it your own. It's kind of like you know you have this, you have this show, this general concept for a show or whatever, but it still feels very you. Like there's so much of you in it, and I think yeah. that's really what makes you such a great host. So I feel like what what is hosting to you in that sort of in your Thanos glove of all the all the jewels that you've collected, all the infinity infinity stones that you've collected. Like what does hosting mean to you? Hosting, you know, it's such an interesting thing because I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday randomly for, for some reason. I, just like the improv thing, I ran away from hosting as well because I didn't look at it, especially when I started hosting, when I started hosting my talk show back in two, 2001. I never wanted to be seen as just a dot, dot, dot. Mm-hmm. Never wanted to be just a. So when the show was doing well and I was like, oh no, Folks are going to look at me as just a talk show host because then the rules were a little tighter. That if you were doing a show or doing what, that's what you did. You can't be on other shows. You can't do things. And and then, Lord forbid, like when I jumped forward to when I did my first game show, don't forget the lyrics. Mm. I know that I was that at first there there were a couple other black comics that wanted a clown and had something to say about ah. Uh, corny and hosting a game show. All I have to say to that is, if you look a few years later, especially after the reboot of Let's Make a Deal, when it was proven that this could be a valid thing and it was a moneymaker and da-da-da, look at the game show hosts on TV and and tell me how many brothers are doing that job. Yep. So that was a really interesting thing. I tried to run from it at first, but, but I realized that what makes me, I, I think I'm a good host. What makes me a good host is, is what you just said. I make it my own. I'm not trying to be a host. I think, 
as soon as you try to be a host, you're a bad host. And that's what I ran, ran from. Mm -hmm. Because I, I feel it's the same thing. As soon as you try to be, I'm a journalist. <laughs> right. <laughs> then you're a bad journalist. I, when, when I think game, game show hosts, some of the you know, ones that I've grown up with, when I think, think of someone, hi, and welcome to blah, 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 or the news guy. And in today's news, ooh, you're a parody. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the dude who was just Wayne who can make you laugh, and I'm just me, and, and e even the verbiage that, you know, you read during a game show, sure, I'll will give you the rules of the game and whatnot, but I'm going to have fun with you. All I can be is me. Right. So I'm going to do that. And even then, folks are like, oh, we'll ask Wayne to host everything. It's like, no, I don't want to host all this stuff. I'm going to host this thing because it's a good job, but I also need the bandwidth to do the other things that I am passionate about. But the cool thing is eventually it came around that I am passionate about hosting. I'm passionate about Let's Make a Deal now. I'm passionate about the show that it's become, especially in the past few years, and especially during this pandemic, to be a show that brings such love and laughter and makes people feel good. That's something that 26-year-old Wayne, when I started, would have never understood because it was just about, I need to do this job and do it the best I can, and, and I don't want to do that thing. I want to do this thing. Now I understand that my job can be a passion and the passion can be creative, but it can also be the feeling that it brings to other people. Right. So that's been a really great place to reach in my life. And to that point, I mean, this is, that's a perfect segue into the question I always love to ask my guests at the end of the conversation is how have you come to define creativity at this point in your career? At this point, creativity is and I want to say this without it sounding like one of those signs that people put up in their apartments, you know, uh, <laughs> right next to like <laughs> live, laugh, love <laughs> is God's open door. <laughs> Go inside. Whatever you say, I'm going to put it on this brick wall. So choose your okay. words wisely. So, <laughs> you know, uh, to me, and I have to stress it that way, creativity is the freedom to make not only what makes other people happy, but to make what makes you happy. And if those two things happen to coincide, then you've hit the lot. Mm. So okay. be free to create, because I think that what we end up doing, especially in show business where there's a lot of money on the line, is people create, whether it's a songwriter, whether it's a studio, whether it's a writer for a TV show, whether it's a game show, it's a bit, we all create with, this thing has got to be the next big hit. It's going to be amazing. And, da, 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 and, and I hope, hope that they enjoy it. And then the people's enjoyment and the happiness, somebody goes, right. so hates themselves afterwards. So I've just, just said, you know, especially with this, this production company that we have, he said, let's create shows that we would watch and let's create shows that would, that will move the needle. So even in the creation of them, we're going to have fun and be joyful and then guess what? And then if it works and somebody buys it and becomes a thing, then, then, then it's the lotto. But even if it doesn't get to that point, then I'm still happy with it. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, we've done a good job at being, at being free and being happy. We have a show called um, Barstow AF that uh, we are co-producing with Jerry Bruckheimer and his, his company, uh, JBTV, that we uh, created about a, about a young Polynesian kid uh, who happens to be gay, who moves from, from Hawaii to, to the town of uh, Barstow and has to completely hide who, who he is oh, wow. to, to, to make it in the world. Right. But there's a whole, whole other dope, dope story. So, so we've got that and, and, a, and a couple of the projects that all, all speak to either people of color or to the LGBTQ plus, plus community. Mm. Because we said... Anybody can just make a sitcom and then, oh, we're, we're roommates. I'm sleeping with this one. Oh, yes. <laughs> Why don't we try to make something that can actually make, make you laugh and move, move the needle for change? Right. So, so that's what I define as, as creativity to freedom to, to create. And, and hopefully the outcome will make you happy and then make other people happy. I love that.
the the freedom to create. Yep, I'm gonna stencil that on this wall. Thank you so much for that. I was looking for some words of wisdom. <laughs> Wayne, this was wonderful. Because you've got to give yourself the freedom, right? There you go. You have to say, yes, you can. Because if not, because I did that for so many years. That's why I like TikTok. Yeah. Because I know, know the wrapping up, but I'll say that's why I like TikTok. Because for so many years, I looked at YouTube creatives mm-hmm. and people on other platforms are like, that's not real creativity because you're not on a network. <laughs> you have to you have to write up the outline and then we have to pitch it and then it has to be bought and then it has to be this and we have to blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Meanwhile, cats at home are like, really? Hey, me and my three friends, we just wrote this show in my backyard. Here, here it goes. Cut to 17 million people later liking it. Mm-hmm. And we go, oh, because they gave themselves the freedom to be creative and just go. Right. That's what I started doing. That's why I like TikTok. That's why I like Instagram. I said, you know what? I want to do a video right now in my sweats and do something funny or sing a song. I don't have to ask anybody's permission. I'm just going to do it. And Mm -hmm. then it ends up being the best version. The first draft of your TikTok or the first draft of your script, the first draft of a sketch, the novel, it's going to suck unless you are some otherworldly genius. But you'll never get to the version that is good if you never do the first one. And I found myself paralyzed for a few years even as a songwriter i didn't make music for years because it's like well no one wants to hear my music and i don't know if i can blah 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 blah, blah. so i wouldn't give myself the permission to be open and right hmm. i wouldn't give myself the permission to have fun and then doing improv on tour stopped being fun because i wasn't giving myself the license to being fun it was just a job and i couldn't find the joy in it again and once i locked in and found that joy everything became joyful So if I have to impart one word of advice to anyone watching, you have to let yourself have fun. You can't wait for for the creative police to come knocking at your door and tell you that you can. You are a free citizen. Go. (laughs) (laughs) When have the police ever said anything free? But that's fine. We won't go there. That's okay. But I completely agree. This has been such a fantastic conversation. I, I'm not even kidding. Like, I, I feel like I'm, because I like to, uh, most of these questions, it's like, oh, you know, I'm kind of asking for a friend, but I'm really asking for myself because like, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's why I love doing this podcast because it really is like an exploration of all the things that I'm trying to work through, you know as as being a quote-unquote creative in the modern age so you know to, to to hear all these pearls of wisdom from you know the like a veteran the master i really i i really really appreciate it so thank you wayne oh oh it's my pleasure really I hope you enjoyed this episode from the Creative Conversation Archives. Make sure you stay tuned for more updates on our upcoming podcast on the creator economy. See you soon.